0: We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Mani. And
1: let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for allowing us to be here today, Lord. I thank you for that song, Lord, that, Father, I pray it would be true, Lord, that we would have arms high, extended, reaching for you, hearts surrendered, Lord, today adoring you, Lord, acknowledging the cross and the great resurrection, the passion and the power, the love and the life that, God, you give to us, your people, Lord. I pray today, Lord God, that everyone here would acknowledge that this is not a work of man but Lord that what you've done is a supernatural work the same God who spoke the universe into existence by the power of his word that you're here that you died that you rose again that you set us free that God everyone here would know that that God you love us Not because of us, but because of you. And that love never changes. And so I pray, Lord God, that we would just come to you. Bless this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can say hi to those who are around you. What a joy it is to see you uh, today uh richard mentioned and i just want to just make sure that you guys just in case is something how many of you here are addicted to your phones and of curiosity just in case you feel the urge to send a text message right now uh, you can uh you can text the word connect to 313131 and uh if you haven't already done that and what we'll do is we'll hook you up and we'll send you uh just one or two texts a week at the most, and uh, kind of keep you up to speed as far as what's going on at Calvary Chapel, Almani, and so you know, if for some reason you're like, "I don't want to do this anymore, don't worry, uh you know you have a way out, all you'd have to do is text the word "stop, stop it, you know and uh and we'll stop it. Okay. I also want to just remind you that after service today, it would be a blessing, man, if all of you could, you know, join us across the street at our sale park where our children are and uh, just fellowship together. We have some uh, food that's free and uh, it would be cool, man, just to get to know you a little bit and uh, and just really uh, experience a little slice of heaven even while you we were here on earth. I'm always blown away. You know, we heard some testimonies today, just a couple of uh, individuals that were married this year. But just all your stories, everyone here has an amazing story that, you know, we we like to share. And when we tell that, it really encourages us and I think it strengthens our faith. But more than anything else, what what it does is it glorifies God. It's like, man, look what God can do with a broken life, with a life that's shattered and how he puts it back together again. And, you know, everyone here, I myself would say that we did not do this on our own strength. That somewhere along the way, somewhere in our road of life, we surrendered our heart to Christ. Not in our head, but our heart. And because of that, the power of God, the power of God came into our life. And I know for many of you here, that's what you need. You need the power of God. It's the power of the resurrection that I would like to share with you today. And so if you have a Bible, let's
0: open up to mark chapter 16 one day we're gonna die all of us here some of us are really good we're not
1: procrastinators we get ready for things in advance this is one of those things that you don't want to procrastinate on you want to be ready for the day that God calls you home and you need we need the power of the resurrection Well, how do you know who to follow? How do you know what to believe? There are many people who believe that all roads lead to heaven. But that's not what the Bible teaches and that's not true. The only one that has the power to take you to heaven is Jesus Christ, who is the only one who conquered death. How many of you here like possums? How many of you here, I should say, hate possums. You know, we see them on the road a lot. Uh Uh-huh. That's where we kind of see them. Uh, As a matter of fact, I heard a joke. It said, why did the chicken cross the road? To show the possum that it was possible. (laughs) But, you know, possums aren't that dumb. Uh, Did you know one of the interesting things about a possum is it won't go into a hole if there's only one set of tracks? Because the possum then knows that something's in there. But if the possum, interesting, sees two sets of tracks, one going in and one coming out, then the possum will know that's a safe place to go. And the same is true for us as Christians. You know, to see the one who went into death and conquered the coffin, gutted the grave, defeated that destiny, that's the one that went in and out. That's the one that we must follow. We experience death all the time. And that's why it's important to understand today's study that Jesus Christ wants to offer us the same power of the resurrection. You know, it was close to 17 years ago. I still remember the day I met a man named Willie. There was something special about him, the way he carried himself, the way he cared for others. He liked baseball especially the New York Yankees and that was the only thing I didn't like about him but you know this man loved the Lord he loved his wife he loved life he loved God's word and for whatever reason I'm not sure why but he loved me he loved my family and he showed it I remember Willie he called me his son and I remember every time he would see my son he would he would give him a dollar he was a Cuban man, and uh, he was actually a man who acknowledged his heritage. And he was also a humble man. In his retirement, he would come into the church, and he would clean the toilets, and he would mop the floors, and he would vacuum the carpets, and he would empty the trash, and he would wipe down the counters. And then we would sit together, and we would talk together. He's a good man. I didn't know it when I met him, but from day one, he had cancer. And then, little by little, he started to deteriorate. And I saw him. And he loved the Lord to the very end. We would go visit him at home. I still remember, however, his face, his finger, and his focus. His tenderness towards me, even as a father figure, in which he spoke the last words that I would ever hear him speak. They still echo in my heart. And Mr. Willie, he died that day so question, is it over? Is that the end? Are we done? Is that it? And I think that today's study, today's contemplation, today's reflection tells us absolutely not. Today is the very day that we're reminded of the way that our Lord and Savior has defeated death Today is the day we're reminded of Jesus' words in John chapter 11, verse 25, where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Mr. Willie believed in Jesus, and he lives. And because I believe in Jesus, I live. And so, it's not over. You see, this is what it's all about. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 19, Because I live, you will live also. What a beautiful promise to those who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know most of you here today are believers. But the bottom line is, some of you are not. And I pray that by the time this message is over, in about three hours, I'm just joking, it won't be that long, you know, (laughs) but... I just pray that by the time this simple message is over, that all of us will be right there on that road that leads to righteousness, that road, the only road that leads to heaven. It's not a religious road, it's a relationship road. And you know in the deepest part of your heart whether you know the Lord or you don't, and it's time to humble yourself and come to the cross of Jesus Christ. There needs to be a step of faith. you got to take that step of faith. But you got to remember that it's a faith founded on fact, that Christ and Christianity are clearly proven to all who are willing to listen. And today I want to share with you out of Mark chapter 16 about this hope and why we have this hope within us. We're going to see, first of all, the witness of the angel in verses 1 through 6. Secondly, we're going to see the witness of Christ in verses 7 through 14. And then finally, we're going to see the witness of Christians in verses 15 through 20. And we begin reading in verse 1, it says, Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. So at the end of the Sabbath, the women head towards the tomb. We read here of Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome. Luke 24, verse 10 mentions Joanna along with other women. And what they did was they were coming to the tomb to finish the job of anointing the body of Jesus. These lovely ladies had it in their hearts to honor him in such a way. According to John, they headed out while it was still dark. And here we see in verse 2 that they actually arrive when the sun had risen. And so they started out, it was still dark, now the sun has risen. Perhaps there is some symbolism there. From dark to bright, from night to day, the risen Lord will light our way. Maybe you're here today and your life is dark. And yet now the sun is rising. We see these lovely ladies are on the road and we read in verse 3, and they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb to open for us? Apparently this is something they hadn't thought of. They were on their way, it hit them. How are we going to move the stone? Estimates on the weight of the stone are anywhere from one to two tons. The ladies couldn't have moved it. And just as a quick side note here for those people out there who claim that Jesus never died and rose from the dead, that you know, he went through what he went through. just kind of swooned after it all was over. He woke up and escaped from the tomb and rolled the stone away himself. Let me just say to you out there, there is no way after the bloody beating and the severity of Jesus' scourging, the crown of thorns, the cross that he carried, there is no way he could have moved a two-ton stone away. No, Jesus died. And the ladies went to anoint his body. They were worried about the stone. But look what happens in verse 4. When they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. Here it is. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? You know, they were worried about the stone. And just as often is the case in life, especially for the Christian, you got to know this. God has already taken care of the concern of your conversation. He's already rolled away the stone. You know, we read in Matthew 28, verse 2, how it happened. It says, And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. And so the angel comes in, he takes care of the stone, and the angel first finds somewhere to sit, then something to say, because there's something to see. And he says to the ladies, do not be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, the one who died. Listen, he's not inside. Come and see the place where he was placed. He's not there. He's not here. He has risen from the dead. And this is the witness of the angel. This begins the whole process of proving that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. This begins the whole process of Jesus Christ actually doing what he said he did, that Jesus is the savior of the world that jesus will wash away your sins that jesus does love you that jesus does have power that jesus really did deliver the truth of the scriptures to us this begins the whole process of proving all those things and once these lovely ladies come and see they were then commanded to to go and tell we read in verse 7 It says, but go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee and there you will see him as he said to you. And so they went out quickly and fled from the tomb for they trembled and were amazed and they said nothing to
0: anyone for they were afraid. The angels tell the ladies,
1: but all they saw was an empty tomb. You know I don't want to offend anybody here, but sometimes you know you 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 hear people and they say, "Well, I went to Israel and I saw an empty tomb," but in all reality, that's not enough evidence. I mean, that was the witness of the angel, and yes, it's a witness, and it begins there, and 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 yet when we're when we're a jury and we're making you know a decision, there's got to be a little bit more of tangible, empirical evidence. So the witness of the angel leads to the witness of Christ. And it's just so beautiful the way you see everything come together. The angel says, go tell his disciples and Peter, this is what I want to do. I want to meet up with them. Jesus wants to meet with them. He wants to show himself to them in Galilee. I just think it's so beautiful the way that the angel sent from God. He mentions Peter. Notice again there in verse 7, go tell his disciples and Peter, he mentions Peter, he singles him out by name, undoubtedly because the devil had singled him out by name. And I got to tell you a little bit about this because undoubtedly, you know, the devil said to Peter, you guys remember the whole story how he denied the Lord and, and you know, he probably felt like he didn't belong and I, I don't know, you know, what's going on now. And, and so the angel says, go tell the disciples and and Peter. I want to meet up with them. Undoubtedly, the devil said to Peter, not you. You're not a disciple. You're not a Christian. You're a man of pride, overconfidence, violence, shedding blood there in the garden. You backslid, followed at a distance. You warmed yourself with the fire of the enemy. There you were hanging out with the wrong people and the wrong crowd. And when push came to shove, you denied the Lord, swearing up and down that you didn't even ever know him. You are not a disciple and you never will be. You see, the devil singled him out, so God singled him out. And the angel tells the ladies, no, go and tell the disciples and make sure you tell Peter personally that God calls him by name, that Peter is heavy on his heart, and that he wants to restore Peter and bless him and use his life in a mighty way. And i got to mention that to you because maybe there's someone here today and you've blown it and you've shown it and you've fallen into sin and you've drifted away and you denied the Lord and maybe you even defied the Lord and you took everything you have to just get up and to show up here on an Easter service because all you've ever heard the devil say is that you're not a disciple. You never were. You never will be because you don't belong. You've done so much wrong. You've gone far too gone. And and what the Lord is just saying is, listen. You go tell the disciples. And you tell him. And you tell him. And you tell her. And you tell him. That God calls you by name. The Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you're not in Christ Jesus, then today I pray that you would be. Don't let the devil keep you down. God just says today we need to tell the disciples and you need to tell the people to come back to where they belong, to come home to Him. You see, all this is true. We have the witness of the angel and we have the witness of Christ. It's not just an empty tomb. It's also a risen Lord, a body to behold. Because look at verse 9. It says, Now when He rose up, "...early on the first day of the week he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. And after that he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either." Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. There are hundreds of people here today who have experienced the almighty power of God in their life. And the way that they did that, and the way that that key turned to open up a dimension of a new door in their life, is they took a step of faith founded on fact, that Jesus is indeed alive. We have the witness of the angels, and then we have the witness of Christ. Notice here in verse 12, in verse 9, in verse 14, He appeared, He appeared. He appeared. And we see that in our text. We see that Mary Magdalene saw him first. And we read the details. If you get a chance to read John chapter 20, how she, after they went to the tomb, she came back by herself and wept and wondered what had they done with the body of Jesus. The witness of the angel and the empty tomb wasn't enough for her. She needed the witness of Christ. You know, my son was, you know, my son, he's he's kind of a smart guy, and he's smarter than me. There's he's not here. Don't tell him I told you that, you know. But he's like, oh Dad, I don't get it. Why did Mary go back? You know, and I had to, you know, kind of research it, and, and basically the answer that we came up with is because the witness of the angel wasn't enough for her. She wanted more. And I think that's understandable. I'm not saying that you have to see Jesus. I'm just saying that somebody had to see him. Right? And so there's Mary. She's weeping. She's wondering. I don't know. This angel says that he's risen, but I'm, I'm wondering what really went down. And in John chapter 10, 20, she goes back, and it was then that Jesus showed himself to her. Now, maybe you've heard of Mary Magdalene, and maybe you've heard even the ridiculous rumors that are out there. You know, it's just crazy that people of this world have their minds in the gutter and they say that Jesus and Mary were a couple romantically involved. Why does it have to be that way? Why can't they simply understand that the reason she cares so much for Christ, the reason that she loves Him so much is because of what Jesus did for her. We read in our text here that Jesus cast out seven demons from her life. There she was, at one time, lost and without hope. Maybe some of you here are experiencing the same demonic battles, maybe even oppressed or possessed by the demons. And you know, you're not in control. They're in control. And the only one who can set you free is Jesus Christ. Mary was terribly tormented, stressed, depressed. But Jesus Christ set her free This then brought her to a place of absolute gratitude so that she came back to the tomb weeping and wondering. And so she was the first one to see the risen Lord. After here, Mark mentions a couple of guys going in the wrong direction. And you can read their story in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 25. You know, when Jesus died, they thought it was over. And so they go on the road away to Emmaus. These are a couple of guys going in the wrong direction. What happens is, and they're on their way, going the wrong way, Jesus appears to them, and he starts walking with them, and he starts talking to them, and he starts teaching them. And then he eventually makes himself known to them. And once they find out he's alive, they do an immediate U-turn and go back to where they belong. How about you? Are you here today on the wrong road? Are you going the wrong way? Maybe it's time for a U-turn, wouldn't you say? We also read there in verse 14 that Jesus appeared to the rest of the disciples. And when you follow the stories, one time he did it without Thomas, once with Thomas. You remember the story, Jesus appeared to the ten, Thomas wasn't there. They told Thomas later, Jesus had appeared to them, he said, I don't believe it. I don't believe it unless I put my finger in his hands, unless I put my finger in his sides, unless I see the wounds and touch them with my own body, I will not believe. So what ended up happening? The Lord accommodated him, and the Lord later appeared to him. And when he saw the Lord, he said, My Lord and my God. Christians, are not, you know, people who have checked their brains in at the door. Christians are intelligent people who have examined the evidence. And we've seen the one who went into death and conquered death, and we follow him, the one who did the greatest works ever done, spoke the greatest words ever spoken. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And the evidence is overwhelming. We see the witness of the angel. We see the witness of Jesus himself. He appears now to the 11. Of course, Judas wasn't there. And the witness of a living body, a physical body, is you know, scattered throughout the scriptures. We see even later in 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 6, that Jesus was also seen by over 500 people at one time many of whom were still alive when Paul wrote the letter there in A.D. 55. Twenty years after Jesus died, you have guys walking around who saw him alive. If you're on the jury and you hear the eyewitness testimony, you have to acknowledge the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And so what you find is this witness of the angels and this witness of Christ is overwhelming evidence. Maybe you never saw him, but we know he was seen. But there's even more. And that leads us to our final point, and that is the witness of Christians. Because look what we read in verse 15. And he, Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be Condemned. Let me read that again. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but listen, he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the
0: word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Now one day we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account.
1: And like Pilate, we can't wash our hands and think for a split second that there wasn't enough evidence to make an intelligent decision. The evidence is overwhelming. The witness of the angel, the witness of Christ, and the witness of Christians. There is power in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And there is a message that reaches the hearts of men that unless they suppress that message, they cannot deny the power of the Lord. And then when that message gets a hold of an individual and it changes their life, there's another message there that they cannot suppress. You know, the witness of the angel was an empty tomb, an amazing claim. He said Jesus was alive. The witness of Christ was a risen body, physically, powerfully, completely alive. But there's one more witness that when you put it all together, it seals the case for Christ. And that is the way the gospel has gone out into all the world, into the uttermost places, the guttermost places. And as people like you and I have believed and received Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our lives, so many signs have followed. You know, today we saw two testimonies of couples who were married this year, lives destined for really nothing but heartache and destined for hell, families ready to be torn about, shredded to pieces, addictions, abortions, abandonment, drunkenness, loneliness, selfishness, emptiness. And here they stand today to say that it wasn't they who changed their lives. It was God who saved their lives. Salvation from condemnation. God is the one who set them free. This is why we need to tell the world You know, the world gets mad at us. And maybe you're here today and you're like mad at us, right? You Christians, you always
0: tell us we need Jesus. Because you do. You don't want to stand before God without Jesus. You need
1: Jesus. We tell you about Jesus. You need to be saved. You need to turn from your sins. Those are things that will only destroy you and your family. You need to trust in Christ. And I can show you people here, and it's interesting how we read about these signs. Look at verse 17, signs will follow. Those who believe in my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will handle, they lay hands on the sick, they will recover. If you look down in verse 20, it says, And they went out, preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. And there are signs to see if only you would open your heart and listen to the Lord. See? And I can tell you stories. I can show you people here who at one time demon-possessed. I know people who were oppressed. You can go with us to Cambodia and you can speak to people in which demons have been cast out of them. I can show you people here who speak in tongues saturated throughout the congregation i can easily point to people who have been supernaturally spared from certain death i can give you names and addresses of people who have been miraculously healed from things like cancer and surgeries fevers the big things the little things and many other miracles signs were you know after we prayed the barren conceived the spouse returned the addict recovered the marriage was mended and so the church is preaching the word and the lord is working with us confirming the word through the accompanying signs you know, right there he talks about them picking up you know snakes okay don't try that I-, I would tell you don't try that they won't hurt you i mean we do read about it in the book of acts chapter 28 you know in which uh, paul was bitten by a snake he just shook it off no problem you some people get weird and they'll go say, oh, yeah, I'm real. You know, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't test God, but trust God. That's all he's saying. And when we go out into the highways and byways and valleys and alleys, that's what the Lord wants us to do. We will see lives changed. You know, it's interesting when you read the Scriptures and when Jesus was There, and they anointed his feet. It says he went to the house of Simon the leper. Simon wasn't a leper anymore. The Lord had healed him, but he still remembered where he came from. And it's important for us to remember where we came from and who we were apart from Christ. That way we can worship God for what He's done. You know, it's interesting. Notice in verse 19, it says, So then after the Lord had spoken to them, He was received up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. You know, the Lord ascended into heaven and there he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Something significantly spoken of in the book of Hebrews. Because in the book of Hebrews it points out to the fact that priests never sat down. That they were always working. Because there were always sins to deal with. And there were always sacrifices to be made. But when Jesus by himself had purged us of our sins. The Bible says he sat down because he finished the work. It's important for us to understand this place. And it's important for us at this juncture in history, and we're talking about a history for a nation, and we're talking about a history for your family and your life and at the crossroads that we are as a country. and We see the things that are going on in the Supreme Court today and all around the world. And how they are taking out their wicked eraser and trying to erase God from our existence and His authority in our lives. And yet, it is He who made us. It is He who established this country. And yet, we have drifted. And we think that through politics that we can mend this country. No, there is a greater remedy required. And that is repentance. We need to come back to Christ. And it begins with you. And me, humbling ourselves, As the devil has attacked our family, he's attacked our faith. And these are the fabrics of society. Fathers, mothers, children, leaders, movers, shakers, people here today. If you are not completely committed to Jesus Christ, then you will be swept away. It's important for us to understand the power that's required here. And that's why it's an
0: opportunity for us. Any of you here have OCD? No, I'm just joking. I don't want to guys that.
1: OCD. Have you guys heard of that? Obsessive compulsive disorder. It's a puzzling, well-known mental disorder. And I think you guys probably heard of it. Most people are familiar with it. The symptoms, like they're always washing their hands or they're always checking the stove. Do you do that? You know, it bewilders and fascinates us because the beliefs and behaviors of its sufferers don't seem to make sense, but nonetheless it has a a powerful grip on them. As its name implies, the condition manifests in repetitive, unpleasant thoughts that one cannot stop, and compulsive behavior, washing, cutting, it's a crazy place. Those thoughts are meant to halt or subdue other thoughts, and then the cycle then repeats itself. A while back, a book came out, and it claimed that Christianity can cure OCD. The book even uses a couple of Christians as examples. It's been thought of that Martin Luther and John Bunyan actually had OCD. The author proves how both struggled and overcame it through deepening trust in God. His argument includes what he calls cognitive treatment, and what it is is a responsibility transfer. The OCD sufferer is encouraged to hand his responsibility for the problematic behavior to another person. So, for example, a sufferer may allow someone else to monitor whether the oven is turned off or the door is locked, so they themselves don't have to obsess over it. And then, ultimately, the goal is to transfer all responsibilities to God. What this author found is that both John Bunyan and Martin Luther did just that. In the early stages of their life, they were both aware of their sinfulness and performed frenzied actions to remedy those thoughts. Luther, for example, dragged his priest into hours-long confession marathons When he felt he had confessed everything, he would then start again from the top. They both experienced profound shifts when they finally trusted God. They realized they could not themselves address their sins before a holy God, but could trust and transfer them to Christ for salvation and security which then provided true saving rest and relief,
0: freedom and forgiveness forever. You see, this is what we need to do. We need to transfer our trust to Jesus Christ. Is
1: then that He will set us free from all the frenzied activity that finds itself not only vain, but self-destructive. How do we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Well, we see the witness of the angel. The tomb is empty. The witness of Christ, that the body is able to be held. And the witness of Christians, how God through His gospel has changed lives. Now what we need to do is we make a decision To follow God. You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, God treated him, Jesus, as if he lived our life. And now he wants to treat us as if we lived his you know, Some might see that and they say, "Well, that's not fair. How he suffered, how he suffered, so I can be saved." But that's the way it frequently is in the family. There are sacrifices that need to be made for the benefit of the children, and this is exactly what God has done for us. Let me close with one last story. It's one of the most powerful stories in the history of the Olympic Games and it involved a canoeing specialist named Bill Havens. He was a shoe in they say, to win a gold medal in the 1924 Olympic Games in Paris. But a few months before the Games were held, he learned that his wife would likely give birth to their first child while he was away. She told him that she could make it on her own, but this was a milestone that Bill just didn't want to miss. And so he, he surprised the whole world, and he stayed home. And Bill was there for the birth and greeted his infant son, Frank, into the world on August 1, 1924. Though he always wondered what might have been, he said he never regretted his decision. Bill then began to pour his life into his son, first as a father, and secondly, with his love for the rapids. Twenty-four years later, the Olympic Games were held in Helsinki, Finland. This time, his son Frank Havens was chosen to compete in the canoeing event. The day after the competition,
0: Bill, the dad, received a telegram from his son, and it said, Dear dad, thanks for waiting around for me to be born in 1924. Thank you for your sacrifice. I'm coming home with the gold. It was signed, your loving son, Frank. Many would question Bill Haven's decision to miss his big opportunity in Paris,
1: but he never wavered. He wanted his family to know that they came first no matter what. And that made him a hero in a little boy in the heart of his son named Frank. You see, it wasn't genetics
0: that gave Frank Havens the gold It was the love of his father. Willing to make the necessary sacrifices in order for his son to know that love and to one day come home with the gold. And that's exactly what God has done for us. And making the
1: ultimate sacrifice so that in one sense, every single person here, through the love of Jesus Christ, can go home one day with the gold. Father, we thank you so much for what you've done for us. Thank you for being that wonderful